If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain in three words. It is free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, hermit crabs? A little more subdued. Hi, inside people. Very good. This is Annika from Columbia. And Maria in Happy Valley. And we are here to talk about Bellingham, the city of subdued whatever we decide to talk about. We want to get to know you, Bellingham. Both the well-known. And not so well-known. What you drinking, Maria? The Aslan Dawn Patrol. Nice. Me too. Another way we're alone together. We're being joined today by our quarantined co-hosts. Romy, my beefy boy rescue pup. And Burrito. Any fun tales of quarantine with Burrito? He's been pretty happy to have his people home. The other day I was playing with one of his little cat toys, you know. I was swishing it around and he got so excited trying to get it that he went butt first into his water dish. Oh no. (laughs) He was so upset. You know um, that one meme of the kid that burned the ramen in the microwave? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty much what his face looked like. Oh, I wish I, wish I could have seen it. He wouldn't appreciate me sharing this shameful, shameful moment. Fortunately, he is a cat and does not understand complicated things like podcasts. How's Romy? <laughs> He's fine. He's currently sleeping at the foot of my bed, waiting for me to be done so I can pet him and look at him and all those things that Romy wants me to do. Oh, what a good boy. So um, we asked our listeners to send some photos of pets that are keeping you company during quarantine. Thank you for everyone who responded. This week's pet family shout out goes to Laura and Billy and their dogs, Apollo and Sanders and their cats, Dora and Winnie. Wow. What a big pet family. Yeah. We'll, be, we'll be sure to post their pictures on our Instagram. Please Perfect. let us know if you want us to shout out to your pet family. I'm sure there's lots of cute Bellingham pet families that need to be acknowledged. There, there must be because Romy follows so many of them on Instagram, on his Instagram page, not mine. And Romy could share our podcast. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea, Maria. We Romy, should, did like, you hear that? we need to take advantage of our like celebrity friends (laughs) yes our first segment of each episode will focus on bellingham hot topics so maria what are bellingham hot topics well annika since you asked bellingham hot topics are pretty much what they sound like new places hot gossip and stories old and new happening in this great city of ours Sounds great. Maria, what is the hot goss this week? Well, the first thing I want to talk about is the shelter at home order given by Governor Inslee. 
Okay. Well, here's the thing. I wouldn't know because I haven't been outside in eight days. But the word on the internet is that some of our local humans are not are hanging out at parks and trails in groups. The horror. Oh, God. Well, it's like I understand why people were doing that a few weeks ago back when people didn't really understand the the gravity of the situation that we're in. But now you should really know better, right? I would think so. I'm not really one to pass judgment, but here's the thing. The fact that people couldn't like, couldn't properly follow the social distancing protocol is why Inslee shut this motherfucker down. Uh, it's going to make it even harder on local businesses and people all over the state. Yes. Hopefully this more direct command helps because, you know, young people can get super sick too. Just because it's not likely doesn't mean you couldn't be that one in 10,000 23-year-olds that needs a ventilator or something. And even if you recover, it puts you at greater risk for illnesses you might get in the future. Yeah, for sure. <sighs> just, I just like everyone in the city too much. I don't want to see people sick or sad. You know, Annika knows that I lost my uncle recently to cancer. And because of the COVID-19 crisis, we couldn't even have a funeral. I couldn't go home to see my dad or my grandma. And it's been a real bummer. Yeah, it's been rough. We had our first two deaths in Whatcom County recently. Those people had family. Everyone who will eventually suffer from this illness is someone's dad, mom, spouse, friend, colleague, uncle, or aunt. And when one person suffers, our whole community suffers. So if nothing else has convinced you yet to social distance properly, I hope this helps. And this is really only the beginning. This thing could impact Maria and I, this could impact all of our listeners. This thing could also go well into the summer if we don't take measures very seriously. Yes, and I get it, man. It's pretty lonely out there. But think of creative ways to connect with people. I recently played some games with my friend over Discord. Now I know what you're all thinking. Discord, isn't that for nerds and gamers? Well, that's what I thought too. But it turns out anyone can use it and it's pretty easy. You can even stream videos from your computer as well as voice and text chat. Cool. I'm I'm planning a Google Hangout happy hour. We're making uh, we're all going to make the same cocktail or maybe pick out a beer and that's one way to connect. I even heard some people are doing a baking party over the internet. They made like an Earl Grey tea cake or something. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I have no patience for baking, but maybe you can make me an Earl Grey tea cake, Annika. Maria, I would definitely want to bake you an Earl Grey tea cake. That sounds great. No take backs. <laughs> Here's another possibly brighter piece of information, and it has to do with Bellingham's homeless population. Okay, do tell. So one of the conversations that I felt is pretty severely lacking in the national discourse is how city governments are going to protect people experiencing homelessness during the crisis. With cities like Seattle, San Francisco, LA, and New York being the major epicenters of the outbreak, you would think that the topic would come up more often, at least like with the media I follow. Totally. So I got curious. Bellingham has a not insignificant amount of folks in need of shelter and services. And here's what I found. The drop-in shelter formerly at Lighthouse Mission has temporarily moved to Bellingham High School, a much larger building that will allow the community being served there to stay the recommended six feet apart. Such a great use of space too while school's out. 
Yeah, for sure. I don't know if it's like a perfect solution, but I'm glad our city isn't ignoring the problem. Yeah, I totally agree. Maybe we can post some links on how people can support this part of the community in the show notes. I think that's a great idea. Well, that pretty much wraps up the hot topics for now, but you better believe I'll be on the lookout for interesting information, mostly from the comfort of my couch for now. Thanks, Maria. It's time we get on to our guest anyway. Our guest today is Michael Nichols. Michael is a local dog owner, animal trainer, and pet owner himself. Michael is the, quote, dog guy in town, correct? That's right, yeah. And I must say, as somebody with a horribly ill-behaved dog, I am very excited to speak with you today. But we'll dive into that later. All right, sounds good. How are you doing, Michael? Just fine, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for being on. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us that 30-second elevator pitch. I was, uh, my family moved to Seattle when I was 11. I came to Bellingham in 1986 originally to go to college. That didn't work out so well, but I always wanted to come back. And so a few years later, when I decided to go to college again, I came back and couldn't leave. I just loved it here. Met my wife and we have a little house in the lettered streets. I always wanted to be a dog trainer when I grew up. And then one thing after another kind of got in the way and finally I decided that I really needed to go for it. So I started studying and here we are. Yeah, it sounds like you did what so many of us do, ourselves included, which is go to college here and never leave. One thing that was interesting for me was that I did a lot of traveling between my first and second adventures at Western. And during my during those times that I was traveling, I kept finding these little towns around the country where I thought, you know, I would just love to live in Athens, Georgia. I should move here to Athens or I just love, mm -hmm. um, you know, these little Gainesville, Florida and these little places like that. When I got back home, I realized, oh, and then I went to Evergreen for a year. And after okay. all those experiences, I realized really the best of all of those is 90 miles north. That's what I really wanted mm -hmm. to do. And I really, really nice. did. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So because you've lived in Bellingham quite a while, do you have any fun Bellingham stories? Something that's uh, maybe something sort of fun or strange that a local memory that other people would find amusing. Maybe it contains a well-known landmark person or establishment. Um, there's a bar here uh, called the three B tavern. And mm -hmm. the owner of that legendary establishment now owns red rum downtown, but his name is Aaron Yoder. Yep. And um, I came here originally the second time and spent two or three days looking for work, just kind of wandering around, dropping off applications, doing whatever I could. And then finally, I just turned, I don't know, I can't remember how old I was, but 27 or something. I, I went into the 3B, sat down, just, you know, you've heard of a, like a victory drink. This was a defeat drink. I just thought, I don't know what uh. I'm going to do. You know, I was absolutely out of money and out of chances. And just got into a nice little conversation with the guy sitting next to me at the bar. And we talked and had some beers and talked some more. And, you know, finally he said, well, hey, it sounds like, you know, you'd be this the guy I'm looking for. I own this place. Do you want to work here? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, and yes, I do. So that was a great introduction to Bellingham. And my first day of work, I, um, I, I called ahead to just sort of, wasn't quite sure what time to be there or what to wear. And the guy I talked to was named David Morissette. And I asked David, um, 
do we get to say naughty words on this podcast? Oh, for sure. Yes. I, I said, you know, is there anything in particular I should wear? And David said, oh, no, bro, just cover your nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> the second day of work, I met uh, Pia, to whom I'm now married. So oh, very cool. meeting Aaron at the bar that day was a very fortuitous experience for me. He's had a big influence on my on my fortune. I'm really grateful to him. Very cool. Yeah. And for and you said the establishment it was called 4B? It was called the 3B Tavern. The 3B Tavern. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it was located where now I think that's where the racket is. I'm not quite clear on where the, the shake uh, very cool. the factory used to be and the 3b is where the racket is now i think that's i think that's right anyway it was one of those buildings there yeah very cool when okay I, when i asked my wife out on a date she, this was months later you know and um i'd never really asked like that's not really how i met people before but i know i was sort of formal about it and we had a nice date and we asked her for a second one. And she said, you're nice and stuff, but I just don't want to date anybody I work with. Um, so I quit. <laughs> ah! Oh, that's funny. Where, where did, uh, where did you guys go on your first date? We went to the movies to see Forrest Gump, but okay. it was sold out. So we went and saw the other movie playing was Maverick with James Garner and Mel Gibson. And, um, that was kind of my end was like, well, look, we didn't get to see the movie we were supposed to see. So let's go see this other movie. So how did you get into training animals? I actually have always had an interest in it and I don't really know necessarily for sure. I guess it was my grandfather. He was a professional level dog trainer, though he didn't do it professionally. And when I was a kid, we'd go in his backyard with his dog or dogs, and he would show me these things with his animals that were so amazing to me. It seemed like wizardry, you know. He'd, he'd whistle in a certain way, and the dog would come running around one side of the yard, and he'd whistle a different way, and the dog would go the other direction around the yard. That right there, I'll never forget. Lots of little things like that. And when I got older, I went to my parents and said I wanted to get a dog, and my mom quite quite wisely said, you know, you're not ready, you're not ready. And finally, sort of laid out a, a list of things I had to do to get a dog. And I'm sure that she thought that I would never achieve it, but I did you know, prove your grades and get a job and save up your money and blah, blah, blah. And then I, um, I just absolutely loved working with him. You know, we did all kinds of amazing things. And then I wanted to be a dog trainer. But at that time, there was no internet yet. You know, there weren't that many books available. Um, and the dog training classes I went to were all about sort of how do you hurt your dog or make your dog uncomfortable enough that they'll do what you want. And I didn't like that, but I didn't know how else to do it. You know, I was, I'd never heard any of the modern terms like positive reinforcement. I didn't really know enough about it to figure out that there was a different way. So I, I kept training and stuff, but I didn't really ever pursue it as far as I could have because I didn't like what was happening. Mm -hmm. Later, when I started to go to college and learn about psychology, I got interested all over again. And, um, and then I adopted a dog that um, really needed a lot of help, although I didn't know when I adopted him. And the people I was asking for help just weren't, they weren't that helpful. They didn't, they didn't offer me what I wanted, which was actual science. So I started doing it myself. Mm -hmm. And 
that well, that was 13 or 14 years ago. Um, and about three years into my studies, I hung out my shingle part-time. And then after a few years, I became full-time. Yeah, I remember the time when I was younger and we did dog training with one of our dogs and they used the choke chain. So that makes sense because I feel like now people are using more positive reinforcement. That's right. I, I use, um, if you ever look at any videos of what they do with animals at the professional level that aren't dogs, it's almost always kind of similar to what I do. In other words, yeah. if you pull up what zoos are doing or SeaWorld, you know, however one might feel about whether or not we should keep those animals in captivity, how do they train orcas and dolphins to do those things? And as it turns out, there's no reason to not apply that same science to dogs or any other kind of animal. It all works the same way. We just are stuck or we used to be more stuck in society in this idea that dogs are something other, but they're not, they're animals. And, you know, yeah. we train them the yeah. same way. Well, and as two as two teachers, it's actually very similar to training children. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Just really, positive reinforcement. They love it. I'm really comfortable with you saying that, but people get really <laughs> uncomfortable when I say that. <laughs> I, I I understand. I understand. But but literally, we the 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 language is the same. The science is the same, mm-hmm. and uh, it's. It's uh, it's effective, and I think even as a, as adults, we probably use some of the same science. We can just regulate it ourselves. I'm right. sure. We use it to train boyfriends too. Yeah, I'm sure. Yes, I think. Yeah, you know, part, one thing that I wish more folks understood is is that mammals, at least, um, but other animals too, but especially mammals. You know, we follow the same um, uh, path in our emotions and cognitive abilities, they mirror each other. You know, you get to a certain age and you start to develop certain emotions and also the ability to say uh, object permanence. And the Mm -hmm. point at which we do that is the same as when dogs and horses and dolphins, and they all, we all do it at the same time relative to the other ability, but humans continue on and on and on and on and on. And dogs stop where children are at about two and a half. So a lot of the things that people think about dogs is just, it's not true. It's not accurate. If you think about how you would teach or train a toddler, you're much closer to the reality of, of what's going on than a lot of our old fashioned ideas about dogs. Yeah, definitely. Even three-year-old children can, human children, three-year-olds can do all kinds of things that no dog can ever do. On the other hand, most people don't bother to teach two and a half year old children 400 tricks. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what is one thing you wish that all pet owners would know or practice? Um, I think that most pets <clears throat> would benefit greatly by understanding better that animals have many, many instinctual behaviors. And humans as adults don't have any, but when Mm -hmm. animals perform those instinctual behaviors, it has the same chemical effect as when infants perform the ones that we do have left over. Babies have a few of Mm -hmm. them, 
we outgrow them by the time we're toddlers. The most important one for human children is sucking. Non-nutritive sucking, like on a pacifier, does wonderful things to children, right? It's self-soothing. And most of the behaviors that people don't like in our pets are the same. They fall into the same category of behavior. They have the same, uh, they cause the same chemical reactions in the brain that it does for human children, for, for infants, right? And so you see a dog digging a hole for no reason, you get mad at the dog, but who would get mad at a baby for sucking on a quarter of a blanket? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. My cat sucks on my boyfriend's ear. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. <laughs> the difference is, is that even an adult cat will get the will will get the reaction in their brain of that self-soothing thing. Whereas adult humans, mm-hmm. we we don't have any of those. We're the only animal that doesn't. So I think it makes it a lot harder for us to empathize. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. I imagine that's it's with my dog, he probably it's he's a beagle Uh well part beagle part uh mystery but uh he likes to smell everything and when we're walking he's just constantly like and trying to follow the trail but and the process of the seeking or the process of the smelling is completely rewarding for him whether or not he ever gets to find the thing just as a pacifier brings incredible joy to an infant even though there's no milk. Very interesting. Okay. Well, one, oh, what were you going to say? I was going to say that for dogs, you know, a dog like a beagle, that little facet of their, of their self has been bred and bred and bred and bred and bred and bred, you know, for hundreds of generations until you get your dog. And they were breeding for that in particular. But then too often we get dogs as pets and we're like, you know, the, the, the classic is the border collie and you're telling them not to herd. Right? <laughs> uh-huh. Don't, don't yeah. herd. Uh, that's a pretty tough yeah. call order. It's, it's akin to telling Labrador retreat. Don't chase the tennis ball that gets thrown in front of you all day. Um, we yeah. can do it using positive reinforcement. I do it every day, but it's important to first understand scientifically what's happening in the brain. How's that work? And only then can you really do it effectively and kindly. Very cool. That makes sense. A really empathetic way to look at it. Well, thank you. One more final animal training question before moving on. Why does my dog not listen to anyone? Remember when we were talking about infants and dogs? Yes. So humans don't start to recognize ourselves in the mirror until we're three. And dogs never get there. And there's some people, there's some experiments that suggest maybe dogs have some kind of sense of self that's based on their ability to smell themselves, but it's not based on anything that we recognize or can understand or feel ourselves. And a lot of times we ask ourselves, you know, why isn't my dog paying attention or why isn't my dog acting the way that I think that they should? And it's because we think that they're supposed to be obedient to us, but they don't really have any idea how their actions can make us feel. It's like when you see a dog fart and look at their own butt, like, what just happened to my butt? You know, they're, they're really not, it, it, their self-awareness, whatever that means, is different than ours. And so we have to look at it, and, and it, believe me, I love dogs, but the way that I choose to express that love is to try to understand what's actually happening rather than assign them, you know, human qualities. They have many human qualities, but 
But one that they don't have is this idea that there should be some sort of long-term fealty. They do what works for them. And in any given situation, any animal, even us, will do whatever has the strongest history of reinforcement relative to the other possibilities in the area. So if your dog is sniffing, he's got this, you know, minute after minute after minute after minute, hour after hour after hour, day after day after month after month. You look at how many minutes they've spent doing that. That history of reinforcement is gigantic compared to how many times when he's responded to his name has he received positive reinforcement that could possibly outweigh what he's doing. So the answer to why isn't he listening is, is that his history of reinforcement for listening isn't as powerful as his history of reinforcement for engaging himself in his environment. And that's, that's true of all animals, by the way. Yeah. Right now we're working on emergency recall and it's going fine. Yeah. But here's the short answer to a perfect recall. Don't ever call your dog. If you doubt the outcome. You want to help them successfully get to you and then achieve reinforcement that's stronger than what they were doing every time. And I recommend four times out of five when you call them and you reward them, that you send them back to what they were doing so that they have no history of being called away from the joy just to be given a dog treat and then leashed and taken away from the party, right? Four times out of five, when you call them from the backyard, it should be, here's a treat. Now go back to the backyard and do whatever you're doing if they want to. That way, when it's an emergency, you'll always get it. My dog, Rudy's a Rottweiler. I have a couple dogs, but Rudy is a, he's a very big, powerful animal and he's, he's really sweet and gentle. I have no interest in in a macho dog. That's why, you know, his name's Rudy. I was like, what's the least threatening name I could think of? But um, he hasn't missed a recall in a couple of years because I don't ever want him to scare somebody or get scared and not be able to come back to me. So how has COVID-19 impacted your life and business? I guess... um, you know, my degrees in creative writing, so I'm not sure if I get to call myself a scientist, <laughs> uh, but I, I do mm-hmm. think of what I do as applied science. And, you know, I try to understand how it works and then apply it. And in reading about this stuff for a while, um, I kind of figured out that it really wasn't safe or reasonable to continue on. So on March 3rd, I sent an email to all my classes all, everybody signed up for classes saying, we're not going to have any more classes. Um, that was March 3rd. I had a couple more lessons with people in which, you know, I set up things where you, you, you're going to stay over there. <laughs> I refused to shake hands yeah. and offended a few people. And, and very quickly just said, you know what, that not even this is working. So how it affects me is, is a complete and utter end of my business. More than that. I'm sorry? Oh, I said, you know, I think a lot of people are feeling really similarly. But it's also shown me something about the person that I live with, who I mentioned before, my wife. She works at a grocery store. um, And she's been working crazy hours under 
it's a wonderful store. They're doing their very best to keep everybody safe, but it's still a very stressful time. And watching people whose yeah. work has to occur um, has been really inspiring for me. It's really uh, brought me a lot of pride and joy to see her do that. Um, as far as what's next, I'm still figuring that out. I'm, you know, it, every dog trainer in the country wants to suddenly switch over and do everything remotely. And the reality is, is that remote dog training is quite effective. Um, I've done a little bit of it with people that were just far away and had only really good results. And there are people who do it that way who are super specialists and they do it that way exclusively. Um, and I've taken classes and lessons that way. So I know how effective it can be, but it, it's also something that takes some practice and some time to set up so that it's done well, not just, oh, we'll just chat on the phone for an hour. So it's, it's definitely right. something where everybody in the country is kind of reworking their business model or their plan and trying to figure out what's next. How does this work? Do we keep our facilities? Um, how soon before we get to go back and using them? Um, does it make sense to pay rent on a building that I'm not allowed to go to, you know, and, and, and how's that work? There's a lot of questions mm -hmm. out there that I don't have answers to. So your website has a whole segment dedicated to memes, which well, is very impressive. And uh, <laughs> I asked you to send me a meme of the one that best sums up your life right now. Can yes, you explain it to us? A, almost all of those um, are quotes from me. But the one that I sent you isn't from me because you asked the one that's the most relevant right now, right? And it's by Dr. Ian, Dr. Ian Dunbar. Right. He's a veterinarian from England who um, is very, very well known in sort of my dog training community. And he said, um, and it's repeated often, that for a dog, mental exercise is more physically tiring than physical exercise. Mental exercise mm -hmm. is more physically tired than physical <laughs> exercise. And that's really relevant right now because we're in our homes. And I know that technically and legally walking around your, with your dog is legal and everything. In my own experience, trying to walk around in my own neighborhood, or you know, I'm just trying to mow my lawn. There's so many people walking up and down the street. I can't even mow my lawn and maintain six feet distance. So, I mean, like the curb part, you know. Um, so, yeah. I, I have always been a proponent of looking at the science of what does a dog do if a dog's left alone? And I don't mean our pet dogs. I mean, what do feral dogs do? And two things to know is one, they're crepuscular. We're diurnal. We're awake during the day. Whereas feral dogs, they're awake a few hours at dawn and a few hours at dusk. That's why they make such good house pets, right? They're up around the time that you are. You go to work to sleep on your couch all day. You come home they're like, yeah, I'm ready to rock and roll. So if they can get enough mental exercise for a few hours in the morning and the evening, the other stuff kind of, a lot of the other problems tend to go away. So I'm a big advocate for the idea that meals should take an hour or more of mental work. And that can mean a handful of kibble thrown across your back lawn. It can mean a food puzzle that is appropriate for your, we can't go from feeding them out of a bowl to it's going to take an hour tomorrow. It has to be gradual. Your dog will get frustrated. But if you gradually mm -hmm. increase the amount of time that it takes your dog to eat, that is the single most thing that we can do to help our dogs live the kind of life that they've evolved to live. Last question for you here is um, what 
would be your message for everyone that's home alone, but together right now? Oh gosh, I'm a dog trainer. I, 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 <laughs> I that's a kind of we still want to know politician or something. Um, um, I, I guess something that has helped me a lot in my life is to know that when there are things that are difficult for me, I look at who's really successful at doing that thing. And, you know, it's not like, it's not like, Oh, I tried to learn how to play some music. I'm not that good at it. Well, there's Stevie wonder. Why can't it be like Stevie wonder? You know, it's not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, how do people go about um, spending time alone? Who's good at that? What is it that they do? I've always enjoyed being alone. And the only time I don't enjoy it is when I can't be with my dogs. So I guess for me, I'm not really alone at all. For some folks, dogs don't really count. Um, sort of a matter of perspective. But I really enjoy this movie, The Martian. And I'd already watched it yeah. many times. There's a book I love called Earth Abides. There's a lot of literature and movies out there. And I get Robinson Crusoe isn't a real thing. But reading it, reading those mm -hmm. kind of books, you know, that's my favorite book is Robinson Crusoe, right? Reading those kind of things and, and thinking about, okay, Robinson Crusoe is my favorite book, but it's my favorite classic book. Um, how did they do it? How do they do it? Or how do the astronauts do it? Can you imagine being on a, on a spacecraft for a month by yourself? But nope. there are many people <laughs> who have done it. And, um, yeah, I went on a, yeah, anyway, I'll leave it there. It, I, I like to look at how do people do it. For me, um, I try to have a schedule. Like I said, a lot of the things that I've wished I had more time for now that I do, I can't bring myself to do because I feel like there's something I should be doing. <laughs> but kind of switching on my head and going, okay, yeah. I'm going to give myself three hours to work on how to be a remote trainer. I'm going to give myself three hours to work toward my house being cleaner than it's ever been. And that's enough. And then let yourself off the hook and say, well, now I'm going to watch comedians and cars getting coffee or listen to podcasts or whatever it is. We don't <laughs> all have to spend 10 hours a day uh, pulling a Shakespeare and writing sonnets, you know? Yes. So look to the experts and permission to let yeah. yourself chill. That goes for you too as well. You're trying to figure out how to yeah. teach kids remotely. It's only been a week. Come on. <laughs> I know we're perfectionists by no. by DNA. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our final segment is the most fun. It's called Local Treasures. In the segment, we do a round table of sharing something we ate, drank, or otherwise consumed recently that fills us with local pride. Do you have anything in mind, Michael? <laughs> there is a beer made by Wander Brewery that um, yeah. it's made it's their single hop citra and I'm pretty sure they're out of it now but they, yeah. know, they've got a lot of great ones um, but I had one and I liked it so much I wanted to go back and but I just wanted to like have one I you know this was several weeks ago but I was still trying to practice social distancing I'd already closed my business and I went in and it was packed 
I'm like, well, I'm not staying here with these fools, right? So <laughs> I, I bought yeah, I get a, that. <laughs> a double four pack. It's like the most beer I've bought in a long time. And uh, I gave myself one a day for eight days. And that beer, oh, mm, they make such perfect. beer there. We've got a lot of breweries here that I'm really proud of. Um, you know, uh, Boundary Bay Brewery is one that's probably the first and, and has done nothing but immense kindness to me and my wife over the years. I love that place. I wish I could go there right now. Yeah, yeah I feel that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> would like some yam enchiladas, yeah. please. I also think, you know, I went by yesterday and what picked up you? some um, some um, sanitizer from, you know, Chuck and that's making it. And that that's probably the first thing I should have mm -hmm. said. I was so proud to see that they were doing that. I just think that's the most amazing thing. Um, technically, I know how to make alcohol in my brain. I know how to make beer in my brain. I don't mean that I could do it tomorrow, but I understand the process of it. But I don't know how they were able to make beer mm -hmm. yesterday and pure alcohol today. <laughs> like that was a pretty big turnaround. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a pretty cool thing that they're doing. Yeah, we have so many people in this town that are so community focused and just looking for ways to be helpers. And I think that's yeah. an excellent thing to be proud of. All right, Annika, what about you? What's your treasure this week? Um, mine's pretty simple. Um, when I went to Hagen the last time mm -hmm. I picked up a six pack of uh, Aslan Dawn Patrol and I drank one of those last night and that is my local treasure this week just because I love the those mm -hmm. those hazy hazy beers doesn't matter if they're it's an IPA or pale ale I just pale ale yeah yeah it's just it's just perfect and I, I hadn't had any because I, I just hadn't left the house for so long that having one of those, even though it was just sitting on my couch, was still like, oh, okay, yeah, this That's is good. good. All right. I'm going to wrap this up by talking about mine. Um, mine is the Cinnamon Twisty Sticks from McKay's Cat House. Now, McKay's is close to my house, and it's been a usual haunt for my boyfriend and I for a while. But even before I turned 21, I would order those twisty sticks and pretty much <laughs> demolish the whole box. So <laughs> it's, it's, the best. it's soft sweet to dough, cinnamon sugar, and they send it with this really warm cream cheese frosting for dipping. Oh. I've been on a diet for a while now, but even with my new, more disciplined attitude, I still can't resist those perfect little bread things. Mm. So, <laughs> my suggestion for all our listeners out there is to order in some takeout from McKay's and make sure you don't forget to get oh, that yeah. dessert uh, option. And when they open again, stop by because their pizza is amazing and their bartenders are super friendly. All right. Well, this is us going to be signing off. Stay healthy, Bellingham. Oh, Maria, a little more subdued. Stay healthy, please. Mm -hmm.